0: Hi, I'm Kelsey, a student pharmacist from Charlotte, North Carolina. You're listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Timothy Ungst, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at the MCPHS University in Western Massachusetts.
1: So hi there. This is Stuart Haynes.
0: And I'm Lily Van. We're from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. And today we're talking about digital health landscape and how smartphones, mobile devices, and big data are being used to improve the health of individuals and populations.
1: And our guest is Timothy Angst. Uh, Some of you in our audience may have seen Dr. Ongst's blog, The Digital Apothecary, or his column in Pharmacy Times. He's passionate about the appropriate use of technology to advance human health, and he's spoken extensively on this topic at national meetings. So, Tim, it's great to have you here with us today for the Pharmacy Forward podcast.
2: Thank you, Stuart, and thank you, Lily, for having me on the channel. And this is something I'm very passionate about, So, uh, Tim,
1: I'll admit that I'm a bit of a geek, and I like checking out the latest technologies. I've I've got an Apple Watch and a Fitbit, and like many of our listeners, I've tracked some of my health data. But as you know, the pace of change when it comes to digital technology, with new products being introduced every week and others seemingly disappearing overnight, it, it makes it kind of difficult to stay on top of everything. In prepping for today's episode, uh, we talked about the FDA's description of digital health, and I was a bit surprised by the many ways that network devices and applications can be used to collect, store, analyze, and report health-related data. So clearly, this is a whole lot more complicated than just measuring our steps every day using a Fitbit and getting your heart rate on your Apple Watch. Can you give us a general sense of the digital health landscape today and the many ways technology is being used to advance healthcare
2: delivery? Yeah, I mean, Stuart, the big thing that's going on here is the fact the field has greatly matured. I've been looking at uh, digital health for probably the past eight years. The big topic was calling it mobile health for a while, and then we quickly realized that It's more than just a standalone device. It's more than just a standalone Fitbit. And even if you look back five years ago, a number of companies that made wearable devices, such as like the Nike Fuel Band or like the Withings, they no longer exist. You mentioned that you have like an Apple Watch. And that's really like the big thing is we're moving to these all inclusive devices that can do so much. And a lot of companies that we never even consider in healthcare are really getting in on this. They, They see a big profitability to be have. So Apple's investing a lot. So I would say, yeah, the field's greatly changing. Even past players that were big in there are kind of dying off. You have Withings, which is a French-based company that sold to Nokia for their nuclear health division. And what ended up happening is Nokia is now exiting it. They're going to sell back Withings uh, devices, all these wearables, all these Bluetooth devices, because it doesn't make money, because they're all standalone. They're not integrated. And even Fitbit's having some trouble. And they're announcing a bunch of collaboration, trying to get their data more into the doctor's hand to see some meaning. And that's the reality we're seeing is that devices on their own are kind of meaningless. The digital health space is evolving to the point that digital devices are just one part. of They have to be part of a platform that does something. So you have companies like uh, Livongo Health, Omada, you have Blue Cross Blue Shield, who's backing a number of these companies that use these devices to target health and wellness or even disease control for some populations. And the bottom line is they see some return investment on these on these companies basically to improve health. So I think that's kind of where it's going is we're seeing uh, more platform-based approaches to digital health overall.
0: Well, Tim, that sounds really awesome. And you kind of mentioned that platform-based type of mentality. So I'm really interested when we're looking at that and specifically looking at mobile devices for those platforms and, and apps um, I'm wondering what you think are some of the coolest devices on the market. I know you mentioned the Apple Watch. What kinds of health data do you think can be collected from these? And and specifically, what kind of information do you think would be really helpful to pharmacists
2: out there? Yeah, so I've been mulling this over for a little bit because there's been some interesting uh, studies published this past year, including a new in the Journal of Medicine. And in one aspect, there was a recent study looking at 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring that showed that that's actually a lot better than just doing clinic-based measurements and that you can predict mortality rates with it. It really opens the idea that, wow, maybe patients should have more constant monitoring of their blood pressure. Okay, so you got that, for instance. That study was based over 10 years, and they were using these old devices that have been around for 30 years for patients to monitor now, take it, for instance, Omron, which is available at almost every pharmacy across the country who sells their blood pressure cuffs. They're working on something called Omron Zero, which is a device that you can wear on your wrist that can monitor blood pressure continuously through the day. So we're moving to this point where we're getting continuous monitoring. And that's what I'll call it. So like even glucose monitoring, where we do SMBG, now we're seeing a lot of companies investing into continuous glucose monitoring devices. I think that's going to be the big thing is just having these wearables monitor all the time. So on one hand, we have data. And then the other study that was published in New England Journal of Medicine got a lot of attention was that barbershop study, which the reality of the matter was it was just pharmacists with collaborative practice agreements operating out of a barbershop to basically provide therapy recommendations and prescribing therapy so that people got to their goal of blood pressure. So what if you combine the two together? What if you could use continuous blood pressure monitoring and you could have pharmacists that could oversee that and provide insights and recommendations and care? Suddenly you enter a world where we can get rid of those blood pressure stations that are outside pharmacies because we don't really need them. Another example would be asthma inhalers that have sensors on them. And those are really intriguing to me because you can actually detect actuations on the inhaler and you can see if people are being adherent. And if they're not, you can intervene and give some ways to promote adherence. But then also it's actionable data. And what I mean by that is you see someone, for instance, using their Saba more frequently, you might want to figure out, well, what's going on here? Why is the person having exacerbations and need treatment? It might help reduce hospitalizations, which a lot of payers would be very interested in at the end of the day, just because that will drive down costs. Take your Apple Watch again. You have Apple who's looking into determining, can we use these devices to capture whether or not people have arrhythmias? Do they have atrial fibrillation? And imagine the possibilities with that. It may open up new possibilities for monitoring, and that's kind of something I'm really excited about. And also just to monitor vitals that we could probably use in the all-encompassing platform that even pharmacists could use to help guide pharmacotherapy.
0: Great. And if we have that continuous monitoring of blood pressures, looking at actuations of inhalers and being able to act on that, that would be great for the professional pharmacy. And I know that the data that's being collected from these mobile devices and the apps um, they're transmitted, they're stored, they're analyzed in these, these big servers out there. And, and typically, when we think of health data, we think of it being used by the patient or a caregiver or a healthcare provider. But, you know, there are thousands and millions of people out there reporting their data. And do you think it's possible for policymakers now or health, public health officials and health systems to use this information to make decisions in terms of resource allocations and, and look at emerging health problems? And if so, can you give us some examples of how this health data might be used to address population health?
2: Yeah, and that's this is kind of a thing that we're finding out that there's more to it than we ever thought before. So one study I just came across that's very interesting, was published in Health Affairs. It looked at using a sensor on inhalers. The company is called Propeller Health. They're based in the U.S. And again, it's one of those instances where if you use a Saba, the sensor detects when it goes off. So what they did was they actually basically went to a city down the south that it's known for having bad air quality based on traffic, based on factory work and such like that. So what they did was they actually went to people with asthma and they said, look, we're going to give you these sensors. We want you to use them. What they found was that they could map out where the patients were using their inhalers. So think about it. It's like when they press the inhaler, it sends a ping to a smartphone that the patient has. And from that data, it's uploaded to a cloud database. And what they did was they basically used geofencing technology to determine, well, where was this happening? And they were able to detect where people in the community were having asthma exacerbations. What that turned into was a big public health talk is, well, what do we do about this? We know people are having issues. We know that they're more likely to have asthma exacerbations in these locations. What can we do to help the community? And they actually started a bunch of discourses. It turned into, well, maybe we should plant more trees here. Uh, Maybe we should set up construction limitations for where there's a high density of already factories. Uh, Maybe we should reroute roads or have a better traffic indication for heavy traffic with diesel fuels. If you think about this, I mean, from, from that, you suddenly see hospitals interested in this because, well, hey, if we can decrease these exacerbations, that's lower emissions. Payers are interested because that means you don't have to pay for it. And the public health is huge because it encompasses all of that, and especially for state funding or for Medicaid patients and such that this helps out a, a lot. So that's just like, to me, that's just one sample of how we're getting to a point where we would never consider using, using this technology to set a, such an extent to help improve health. The other thing to consider is how can you improve adherence in patients and track adherence? Because that's a big thing the FDA is actually asking. You know, if 80% of your patients take this therapy, what's the outcome? Should that be in the package label, for instance? On top of that, there's been some interest in just collecting how does stuff improve symptoms? So for instance, if a pharmaceutical company comes up with a new drug for Parkinson's. It's not a lot to create a device that they wear in their hands, for instance, that can detect either um, dyskinesias or anything like that, or with movement, and then determine, hey, this helps with symptoms or it doesn't. We're entering a phase where, what do you do when you suddenly have a trial coming out that's, you know, this is drug X, that's partnered with system or platform Y, and it led to this outcome, is can you separate the two? Does that mean the intervention always have to be partnered together in order to get to that outcome, for instance? These are big things that I think are coming across that we as pharmacists have to be cognizant of is that we're going to see future clinical trials with drugs that will be using digital health platforms to get to an endpoint. So it's not just going to be take your medication, it's going to be take your medication and do this as well. So that's something that's really intriguing to me. So, Tim,
1: when we spoke a few days ago, you were kind of lamenting that pharmacists are rarely invited by tech companies to serve on their advisory boards, and thus, they rarely think about pharmacists and how they might be interacting with patients to use some of these products we're talking about, or how pharmacists might use the data that's captured on these devices to actually help promote patient health. And if a big tech company, a big tech giant called on you tomorrow, what would be your, your advice to them? How could they better design products when it comes to medication use or what are some of the big unmet needs from your perspective that you think pharmacists can really get involved with?
2: When I talk to some startups, if I start bringing up clinical endpoints, if I start talking about cloud or practice, if I start talking about any just any clinical responsibilities of a pharmacist, it usually turns into another conversation about wait, pharmacists can do that. And you have to keep that in mind. A lot of these companies that are involved in the digital health space tend to be system engineers. They tend to be uh, venture capitalists. Uh, They tend to just be technological people with no health background. That's the key thing is because their only interpretation of pharmacists then is what they normally see in society. And if they affiliate pharmacists with mainly a dispensing role, they won't consider us for anything outside of that. I mean, medication adherence kind of goes hand in hand. If it's another medication platform, then they think of us. But beyond that, I have a hard time talking with a lot of people about, hey, we can do more. And it, half the time when I talk to them, it's like trying to sell the profession. That's what it turns into. I lose a lot of time there before I can even move on to talking about the product because they have to understand us first. And that's something I think that needs to change. I think there needs to be some work either from societies or organizations to get a better facing for us around that, whether it's collaboration with different companies, you know, talking to Apple, talking to Google or any others and trying to get more of a foot in the door, I think that would really help us. So I think a a lot of people just need need to give us a shot as a profession and learn more about us and what we can do before that we get involved further, just because if they don't know what we do, then they're not going to approach us. I think that's the bottom line. Now, they're, now, pharmaceutical companies tend to be a little bit better at this, and they're entering the digital health space now as well. So I think they're integrating pharmacists a lot more. So how to get more involved? The one thing I would say is that if a pharmacist is interested in digital health, it's definitely right now a lot of networking. I would say it's a matter of going to different events that are not traditionally health focused. So like, I'm not talking about annual meetings or anything with any APHA or ASHP. You're probably not going to come across this very easily. You're going to have to go to other conferences that are more tech focused. Some of them could include like hackathons or ideation labs. Even just there's a lot of health tech conferences across the country I've been to them and I rarely come across any other pharmacists. And that may be a good thing if you're really interested in this stuff because you may be one of the few pharmacists there and other organizations may see a big benefit to that and want to talk to you more. And I think that's the thing is if we get to the point where we start talking about using technology to say track adherence and that pharmacists can intervene on it, who's going to do it at the end of the day? And that's something that I'm really actually concerned about because in the way we're going to open Pandora's box, we want to do more clinical roles and responsibilities how do we do it that turns into a way that works into our current workflow? If it's community, you will probably need staff there. I think most pharmacists can talk about doing a lot of these things and intervening on them. Bill for performance, I think, will come along with it. But it's having the staff to take care of it because it's not really like it's going to be feeding into our pharmacy management systems. We're going to use different platforms and such to look at the data, make calls, interview and talk to patients. And that's going to take time out of the day. So those are things that really need to be considered if we move down this path.
0: Tim, that's that's actually a a lot of great advice, and you've really given us a lot to think about today. So I know with all the information that we're gathering from these mobile devices and organizing that data from really more of a platform-based perspective, it's exciting to really see where the world of digital health is going. Using these devices to help our patients clinically and not just looking at adherence and whether or not they're picking up their medications is really going to be, I think, key moving forward. So Tim, we really want to thank you for discussing the evolution of digital health today and and pharmacy's evolving role in this sector. So thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today.
1: Tim, I really do want to thank you for being part of our show today. And I really appreciate your expertise. And we look forward to your contributions through your column, the Digital Apothecary blog.
2: No, I really appreciate it, guys. And thank you for having me on here. If If there's a closing remark I want to make is that Right now, the mantra I'm hearing in pharma is think beyond the pill. They recognize that digital health is big, and I think that's where they're going to go. The one thing I would think that pharmacists should take up, especially considering digital health, is think beyond the fill." It's not a matter of just filling medications and verification of medications. I think that's something that's going to be really something that we can change a lot with a lot of these interventions and technology coming out.
0: page, a student pharmacist from Bailey, Mississippi. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app and tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. Be sure to write us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like to share about someone who's transforming knowledge into action, send us an email. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit pharmacycpd.org. That's pharmacycpd.org. This episode was conceived and developed by Lily Van, Laurie Fleming, Josh Fleming, and Stuart Haynes.